From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. And we are back to talk about what happened with the massive $3 trillion relief package that the House passed last week and what it means going forward now for the next round of coronavirus aid, which seems to be on life support. The House did pass it last week, Jen, but pretty party line, pretty dead in the water. Yeah, so we knew as soon as House Democrats released this bill, that it was not something that they negotiated with House Republicans or with the Senate or the Trump administration. And so we knew that this was House Democrats sort of opening negotiating point and that they did write it to be kind of their dream bill. And so the final House vote was 208 to 199. And they did technically send it over to the Senate But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said repeatedly he doesn't plan on taking up the legislation in this form. Um, And it also seems to be right now that Republicans and the White House in general are saying that they should sort of take a pause before doing this next aid package, which will be the fifth aid package. And so that is something they want to see how the previous what bills are sort of absorbed by the economy and how as states begin to reopen, how they're positive cases trend, whether or not they trend upwards or downwards or stay relatively flat, and then what that means for the economy going forward before the Trump administration and Republicans really start to negotiate this next aid package with Democrats. And before we get to what might come, it was interesting to me, Jen, that the House Democrats got this thing passed, but boy, that was a struggle. They they had to shore up support from within their own membership. Yeah, there were concerns heading into the vote from both moderate Democrats um, and progressive Democrats about the bill. Progressives were frustrated that it did include as many provisions as they wanted to help people and help small businesses to a certain extent. Um, But in the end, there was only uh, one House Democrat progressive, Primlajaya Paul from Washington, who voted against the package. The other no votes on the Democratic side were predominantly from moderates, pretty much all of whom are in GOP-leaning districts. And they were saying that they think this legislation should have been bipartisan, that you know the country is in a state of crisis, both economically and from a healthcare perspective, and that you know doing this first aid package is kind of a more of a messaging bill to Republicans was not the right choice. Those moderates were saying that they really wanted this legislation to be bipartisan and that this essentially just wasted a couple weeks when congressional leaders could have been at the table with the White House negotiating another aid package, even though Republicans in the White House are saying they want to take a few more weeks before they start that. Yeah, but it does show you that negotiating a major spending bill in an election year is never an easy thing. And obviously this made enough moderates nervous Oh, uh, for about thir- 13 of them to even break ranks and vote against the whole bill, um, yes. just on the grounds that it's not possible. Um, and we um, should point out that there was one Republican who did join with Democrats to vote in favor of this bill, and that's Peter King. He represents a section of Long Island in New York State that, of course, has been very hard hit by COVID-19. And he was saying, heading into the vote, that he really has been given no option from his party leadership than to vote for this, because this is the only option for additional state and local aid right now that Congress has. And so he was very critical 
of both Senate Majority Leader um, Mitch McConnell and of House Republican leadership heading into this vote because he really wanted a GOP proposal on the table, um, but he didn't have one. So he said his hand was a little bit forced to vote for this Democratic bill. But so they did get it passed. Senate Republicans were quick to blast it. They said it's a liberal wish list of things that some of which had nothing to do with the pandemic and is way too costly at $3 trillion, which would, we should say that would basically double the amount of aid that they've already provided uh, in the past four relief packages. So that was a big leap. So now what happens? That's the big question. Right. So really the ball is in the court of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and the White House. Democrats are saying that they are ready to negotiate on this and that they want to get this package, this next aid package, which will be the fifth aid package, uh, moving pretty quickly. And so House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was on CBS Face the Nation on Sunday, and we can take a listen to what she said. Liability protections for employers. That's what Republicans say is their red line. To get what you want, what will you give on that? Well, we have no red lines, but the fact is the best protection for our workers and for their employers is to follow very good OSHA mandatory guidelines. And we have that in our bill. And so it's really interesting to me that Pelosi is essentially saying that there is no red line for Democrats right now. Um, I think that shows her level of concern in getting a next aid package out um, to not only support people and healthcare workers, um, but to really try to bolster the economy going forward. Although they have been clear, Democrats, that they do want more state and local aid. State and local aid is not just a Democratic issue right now. There are lots of Republicans, um, a few in the House, and then a growing number in the Senate um, who say that they want additional aid to state and local governments as well. Because obviously we've seen your state and local governments already begin to cut funding for areas of their budget and lay off or furlough their employees. Um, and I've been getting, I don't know about you, David, but I've been getting lots of press releases and lots of emails from, you know, firefighter associations, police associations, education associations about how this is going to impact people's everyday lives going forward. And so there is a lot of bipartisan concern about this. There's just debate about how to handle it. Because the House bill had almost a trillion dollars just in state and local aid, uh, which I think Republicans saw as a bridge too far. But I see now in the Senate, there is there is a bill kicking around that has bipartisan support for half a trillion dollars. So I guess there's some yeah. ground for compromise there that might that might be possible. Yeah, this is a bill that um, New Jersey Democratic Senator Menendez and um, GOP Senator Bill Cassidy released um, in April. Um, but they're getting additional co-sponsors as this um, this sort of COVID pandemic continues and stay-at-home orders continue. And so, one of their new um, co-sponsors is GOP Senators Maine Senator Susan Collins, and of course, she is facing a very tough re-election this year. So, any bill she signs her name to is immediately going to get some attention from McConnell. How much mm-hmm. and how seriously he takes that is another question. However. And yet, the White House is still trying to pump the brakes on any new aid bill. Yeah, the White House still seems very on the fence about how to approach all of this. Um, economic advisor Kevin Hassett 
spoke with reporters outside the White House on Monday this morning, um, and he was saying that they're really continuing to be in this wait-and-see approach to see how programs like the Paycheck Protection Program, that forgivable small business loan program that's been extremely popular, as well as the Main Street Lending Program out of the Federal Reserve, how those programs impact businesses and the economy going forward. Of course, um, the wait-and-see approach is something that's being sharply criticized by Democrats as each week we continue to see millions more Americans filing for unemployment. So let's take a listen to what he said this morning. It's been really encouraging to see how quickly uh, businesses around the country have begun to, to ramp up. And so I think it's possible that we'll see a strong enough economy that we don't need a phase four. And we should say when he talks about a phase four bill, he means this next round of coronavirus relief. They tend that this will be the fifth bill, but they sort of miscount things. Yes, counting has not been one of our strong suits the past few months here. So we're looking at clearly several weeks at, at a minimum now for, for talks to get anywhere, it sounds like, because they can't even agree on when a new bill is needed. And there are, some, there are still several big fights looming on this thing, one of which, of course, is McConnell's pet peeve, which is he wants liability protection for employers who reopen their businesses, and Democrats don't really want to play that game. That's going to be one of the issues that takes them several weeks to sort out. I think liability protection and how exactly how much funding for state and local aid they approve in the next package and how that gets distributed to state and local governments, I think is going to be one of the issues that really delays release of a final bipartisan bill. And I think realistically, we're probably going to be into the month of July before we start seeing floor votes on that package. And of course, President Trump has called for a payroll tax cut in the next package. And, and that hasn't, doesn't seem to win much support from either party in Congress. They seem pretty lukewarm on that idea. And Trump has also raised the bar by saying he doesn't want any aid to go to sanctuary cities, which brings up this whole immigration fight. And it's not clear to me how much he's going to insist on that. But if he does, that could tie things down, too. Yes. So lots of issues to sort out and not only figure out what's realistically going to be in the legislation, but once they agree about what goes in, they have to agree on, you know, those funding levels and really kind of the, the nitty gritty details. And of course, it doesn't hurt to remind people that all of this is paid for with borrowed money. There's no attempt to raise taxes or cut other spending to pay for it. We are reaching record levels of deficits, uh, but that's for another day to handle. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You'll find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.